Hello, Great Minds. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History as we get ready to examine the psychology of Napoleon III, Emperor of France. So welcome to the show, everyone. As always, I'm your host, Mr. DGMH, otherwise known as Zach Tobacco, and not a very good one at that. I keep forgetting to do my new Patreon shoutouts, so I will do that in just a second, but not before I give a shoutout to our psychology all-star, Dr. Sherry Valencic. How are you doing tonight, Sherry? Here I am, back in the saddle. New school year has begun. Hooray. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> We're halfway through September. I'm just counting down. It's almost Christmas. That's all I say. It's almost Christmas. One month, one month down and on the way to Absolutely. month two being down. I know. It, it is going fast. And we started with the whole of August. So it's 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 cruising along. But yeah, and uh, truly cheers to all of our colleagues out there. Mm-hmm. Lots of historians, our history teachers in one way or the other. Uh, yes. this, this has not been fun uh, since COVID and it has no. gotten so much harder. And, uh, you know, for people who are not in the field of education, for us to have such an incredible personnel shortage, especially teachers, uh, those of us who remain uh, bear the brunt of that. And it's not the fun parts of teaching. Uh, I think most yeah. Good teachers really enjoy the craft of teaching and the research that goes into it. But, um, you know, you have 200 kids on your roster, you could have up to 800 parents and very little planning time to deal with any of that. So uh, cheers to all teachers that are out there. I second that. Cheers to all teachers. It's a tough time, uh, especially in Florida right now. There are a lot, is a lot of confusion with curriculum and, you know, not to get political as I try to avoid that as much as possible. But regardless of your political beliefs, uh, you know, or alignments, I sure everybody on this political spectrum is saying, okay, this is a confusing, almost frustrating, dare I say, somewhat scary time to be in the classroom because it seems like it's always so easy to, to fuck up. I don't uh, know. We are we are often the first people to be praised and the first people to be vilified. And Absolutely. Uh, that more than ever, I think this year, which is uh, a tragedy because most teachers are good and so... Uh, genuinely intended to helping young people uh, mm-hmm. become better citizens and be able to live their lives as an adult. And it's, um, it is such a shame uh, what has happened over the past. Yeah. And I mean, it's amazing that these, these parents probably had great teachers too. many of them. There's no way that several of them didn't. And the, you know, I always tell the kids about the Sam, my Santa Claus theory is that, you know, eventually in spoilers, anyone who, who still believes, uh, but eventually you grow up and you find out that Santa Claus just isn't real. And it's just a part of your life. That's a myth. And I said, and that's how teaching works too. You all sit here and say, Oh my God, tobacco, you deserve so much more money. Oh, you deserve to more. Oh, what? if I'm ever in charge, I'd get you, uh, you know, I'd make sure you guys were respected. We love you guys. You do so much for us. So I was like, yeah. And then just like Santa Claus, eventually you forget about your favorite teachers and just move on. Or you don't forget about us, but you forget about caring about us. Uh, so cheers to all those teachers that are, 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 Trucking along alongside Sherry and I and Cullen and well, Cullen's on sabbatical, the lucky bastard and uh, Luke and Kelly, you know, we're all teachers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're all, all five of us are, uh, are teachers. Um, that's what makes this podcast. I think the most unique is, is the reality is that we are not necessarily 
all in the expert level of the field. We are not working at universities, not writing research papers or anything like that. We are teachers. And that is a special kind of understanding of the content that we cover. And we have to cover far more uh, than a lot of the professors that I ever would have had in, in college would say, oh, I don't know anything about Portugal. I don't have to know anything about Portugal. I'm like, well, I have to know everything about everything. So uh, that's, that's well, we, kind of where we I'm... Also have to, we also have to figure out how to convey that information effectively uh, to a group of people that are of a different generation that we are and yeah. have different levels of understanding. And that is different than the college level too, because yeah. that is an adult speaking to other sure. young adults. This is With career goals. level a teacher is at. Um, and I, you know, once you get to be my age in the mid fifties, you realize how much distance there is between mm -hmm. your age and your student's age. And uh, it is, it is an art to try to figure out sure. how to uh, explain it so that students can understand it and then, of course, retain it for all the lovely testing that we take. Of course, of course. I mean, they're not paying for it either. But, you know, um, that's what I think makes us, uh, at least I think, uh, allows us to convey information on this show. And speaking of conveying on, uh, you know, information on the show, I guess we should probably get to it. So, OK, let's go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could rant about teaching all night, but I, I, I got to be mindful of Sherry's time, my time, and the fact that we could, you know, ramble. Which is rather teaching. ironic because we actually rant about teaching all day. So. Yes, we do. We do. But it's in a safer space now, at least I hope. Uh, well, let's do those shout outs so I don't forget. A big welcome to our two newest patrons of the arts. I know this is supposed to be on a Great Mind episode, but really, I mean, who gives a shit? You're getting the shout out and we love you for uh, supporting the show. So Mary Beth Clinton and Susan, I hope it's bomb. Uh, if not, I apologize uh, for or uh, mispronouncing that, but I don't get pronunciations. Uh, you don't have to speak into a microphone and tell me your name by pronunciation. So I appreciate your support. Welcome to Patreon land. And I hope you enjoy all the content that we release there. Uh, and we hope you enjoy the show. Cheers. So speaking of cheers, you're not drinking tonight, are you, Sherry? I'm not. I'm well, sort of, kind of. And it's another really great teacher connective thing. Uh, so Ooh. I am off alcohol uh, for at least another couple weeks. Um, which is fine following following good doctor's orders. Mm -hmm. But I must say that uh, what I am drinking tonight is what has become a very important tradition to me at the beginning of the school year, uh, which is my Wawa after school beverage. Uh, hopefully other people in the DGMH universe uh, took advantage of the fact that Wawa provided free drinks for teachers oh. all throughout the month of August. And uh, I live in between two Wawas, so it was very convenient for me to stop by. And I really do enjoy the people who work at my Wawa's and I get my gas there and everything else. Uh, but I really got hooked on my free teacher drinks every day. So now that it's no yeah. longer free, I spend some of my money at Wawa almost every day. So uh, my um, poison for the month of August was actually a, uh, a large diet cream soda. And I've Ooh. just kind of gotten hooked on it. Uh, so that is what I am drinking today. So shout out I to Wawa. It. Thanks for all you've done for teachers. Um, and that's my beverage today. I love that. I love that. And for those of you up north that might not know exactly what Wawa is, it's like sheets, but not sheets. And uh, for those of you out of the country or somewhere that doesn't have sheets or Wawa, I can't fucking help. I don't know what to oh, say. It's like, so. a, it's like a, a nicer truck stop, I guess. Yes. yes, absolutely. So I, speaking of up north, am drinking a not ice cold traditional Yingling lager, but I am drinking a Yingling Oktoberfest, the Oktoberfest I buy first every year. So I am uh, ready to enjoy that. It's got some condensation on it though uh but we'll talk shots later as the shot is important for this month's saga you know thank you and i also want to do a shout out uh wawa's got fantastic ice 
I'm a big ice fan. I'm a big okay. ice fan. I really enjoy yeah. Sonic Ice, but Wawa's got good ice too. Okay, Wawa has good ice, people. Uh, I wish I would have had some ice to put that beer on. It's getting a little warm, but who cares? A little warm beers, okay. Uh, but okay, so Wawa and Sonic apparently have fantastic ice. I've heard Chick-fil-A has fantastic ice too. My, uh, the more I, I talk to people, the more they tell me that this Diet Coke fountain's better than this Diet Coke fountain, and the Diet Coke fountain that's the worst is this. I'm like, I never really gave it that much thought, but maybe they're right. Uh, but on that note, let's get to it. Uh, <laughs> Napoleon Third. no, no, <laughs> Napoleon III is a bit of an unknown, a bit of a rogue or a rebel, and certainly a bit of a Bonaparte. He was a great mind with a vision of personal glory and glory for France. I can't wait to hear what Cherry has to say about him, but first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. So as we've been doing this season, I wanted to give Sherry a second to share her thoughts on our great mind for this month. So what did you think about Napoleon III, Sherry? Well, the first thing that I wanted to bring up is the fascinating fact that uh, you brought up several times during the podcast, but it's certainly true of me. And that is how many people don't even know that a Napoleon beyond the Napoleon existed. Yeah. And so it actually lends itself to a great psych phenomena that is typically studied in an intro to psych class called the mere exposure effect, uh, which oh, yeah. is the idea that, uh, you know, your preferences and your liking towards something um, exists because you've had repeated exposure <laughs> or you're familiar with it from the course right. of your lifetime. And so, I mean, I think for me, the fact that um, and how I started researching it was when you told me the other week that I was going to be Napoleon the third. I honestly thought it was the original Napoleon and my whole knowledge of him simply comes from uh, the ABBA song Waterloo that that's all yeah, I know yeah, yeah, yeah. about him. Um, but, um, yeah, it was really fascinating Great to me song. to go into the research on him because it was, uh, it was deep. And, um, during the podcast, I kept stopping and looking stuff up, um, on my phone. And I mean, I, I spent about three hours with Napoleon the third oh, yeah. this weekend, um, Ooh. and learning a lot about him. So I think it is a classic conundrum that history classes are in now because the bottom line is when you are learning about history in a course format, there's only so much time you yeah. can afford. Yeah. And, you know, it's always interesting to think about who's making the decisions about what and who gets taught. But I had never heard about this man before. So only hmm. Napoleon the first. I, I think that I probably hadn't heard about him until I'm sure I encountered him in undergrad, but I only remember learning about him in uh, my 19th century Europe class in grad school. So uh, with with guest of the show, Joe Kuhill, by the way, uh, who's been on the show before all the way back in season two in the Churchill saga, uh, my grad school professor. So um, yeah, no, and that's awesome. And I mean, mere exposure, that's like a, that's like one of the few things that I just rapidly understood on the show that you introduced way back at our first Christmas special, uh, our only Christmas special. But yes, um, that's, that's, that's fascinating. So, but you liked yes, him? I, I mean, it relates to that. Yeah, yeah, I think what it, what it did for me overall, once I was done, you know, wading through 52 yeah. minutes of the podcast and yeah, then uh, doing all my digression into rabbit hole research is, you know, I, I love to travel. And the first time that I was in Paris was really, it was a moment for me. I just thought mm -hmm. uh, the Champs-Élysées was so beautiful and the, the architecture and um, the walkways along the Seine. And I did not realize that the beginnings of that really is all attributed to mm -hmm. the focus that Napoleon III had on beautifying Paris yes. as a, yes. as a show 
showcase cities. So uh, that I actually found very delightful. And, you know, I understand. And it was, I, I was just laughing toward the end of the podcast with how, how quickly everything eroded for him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when we talk about in this podcast, footprint and legacy, um, the fact that he was very cognizant of making Paris the beautiful city that certainly has all the big problems of a large urban area now, but is still considered one of the grand, beautiful cities of the world. I just really, I thought that was very comforting to learn that yeah. about him. Well, and he was kind of competing with, I, you know, like you said, we have to pick and choose. And even on the podcast, I have to pick and choose. You know, there's great uh, anecdotes and stories about the Crystal Palace and uh, Victorian England and that, you know, with his, you know, World Expose or, or whatever it is, World Fair kind of thing that he did. Uh, you know, he had to compete with that in various ways. It wasn't a world fair, but I forget what it was. But, you know, it is true. He was all about making Paris and his country, I think, a, a little a little different and modernizing it. And I mean, you know, either way, good or bad, you know, France modernized under Napoleon's at least watchful eye, if not forceful push. The other thing that I was really fascinated about, and I kind of dove down a rabbit hole on this too, was understanding how important the development of the Suez Canal was mm -hmm. for agriculture in Europe. Yep. And that is something I never gave any thought to whatsoever. But then I started thinking, you know, the last famine in mm -hmm. France was you know, prior to Napoleon III's reign. And it got me yes. thinking about all those historical anecdotes that we learn about famines and how in most places famines have stopped. And I did not appreciate the role that transportation, which certainly he's known for, had in that. Sure. So I thought that was really interesting as well. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of those things that like, you know, I think it, it was tied to his, I mean, it had, that was like 1850s, right? So that would be right when he's in power, towards the height of his power. And I mean, I didn't really go into that much. And I know he had plans for even with his ambitions in Mexico, cutting through that as well. And, you know, it's kind of interesting that he just understood the point, the, the, the better, the, the, the power of, you know, communication, connectivity, modernization. And it was just, I, I don't know. I think he's just a little ahead of his time. Maybe, I, maybe not ahead of his time, but willing to just charge at the head of his time, you know, charge at the front of his time. I, I don't know. He's somebody who I, I didn't, I thought I knew a lot about going in. This doesn't happen a lot for me, but I thought I knew a lot about him and I didn't know a lot about him. Uh, you know, like I, I thought he did more than he did uh, in certain things than he actually did. And I, didn't know he did some of the greatest things that he accomplished. So I don't know. Well, I'm glad that you liked a, another sort of monarch. I know you always say you love a rebel and he certainly was a bit of a rebel. I mean, a coup is always a spicy tale, but yeah. Coup um, that, I mean, that's great. Anytime you yeah. can get a coup d'etat in there, that's, that's a good Absolutely. piece of history. Love a coup. Well, since it's our new game, apparently to basically hold our questions and content secret from each other, <laughs> Figured that I would continue that trend and ask Sherry a startup question about destiny. Yours has nothing to do with destiny, right? Nope. Okay, so I, you know, I don't know where destiny fits in a psychology curriculum, or you know, about the, where those who fit, you know, kind of believe like Napoleon the Third certainly did that they're destined for greatness, that they serve, are you know bound and determined and kind of born to serve some higher purpose. If it fits, it fits. I don't know. Delusions of grandeur come to mind or something like that. But what no, what are no, your? There's there's better. There's good psych content that has to do with that, and it has oh. to do with a concept called the locus of control. Oh, uh, I've so heard of, you told me this before. Yeah, man. Uh, Julian Rotter was a researcher at Ohio State University um, and was looking at different types of motivation. And uh, two of his concepts that have, again, become cornerstones in intro to psych classes uh, is the idea of where your locus of control is. And do you have an internal locus of control where you believe that you are the person who is in charge of your fate and destiny? 
or do you have an external locus of control where you believe somebody else is in charge of the destiny? And so, you know, I didn't know where you're going with it with Napoleon, but, you know, jumping back to my observations about uh, what he did to preserve and beautify certain aspects of Paris, um, you know, when I do, you know, simple research on once industrialization started and those big cities started to get built, but also get filthy and mm-hmm. and unhygienic is, uh, you know, somebody understanding that, well, we can't just let this go unchecked. I right. need to do something or we need to do something to control the situation. And so sure. uh, it's a perfect example of, you know, the difference between this internal and external locus of control. Did we talk about that on another show? We talked about one of them. I think we talked about the internal locus of control, but I didn't know there wasn't like we never talked about the external and we don't have to right now. But so what's the then what is a delusion of grandeur then? So a delusion of grandeur um, is typically a symptom for psychological disorders like schizophrenia. Oh, really? Um, oh, okay. You feel that you are more powerful or more influential than you in reality actually are. See, I don't think so, that was the case then for him. Yeah. No, I mean, for people who we would say are maybe narcissistic or have God complexes, I mean, some of those more pop culture terms that come into it, that's what a delusion of grandeur would be. A delusion is a, a flawed thinking pattern that mm. even when you're presented with evidence to the contrary, you mentally don't change um, your thinking about it. So I don't, awesome. I don't know if I would think that that applies. I, I, I don't I don't either. I, I don't. But that's why you're here to tell me what I should and shouldn't to clear up those misconceptions, which was another big part of the Napoleon episode for me, like I said. So destiny, the locus of control, internal, external locus of control and a little chat on delusions of grandeur. I appreciate you clearing that up. I actually love when it's something that I remember from another episode when it's my question, because it's just so interesting to see how these uh, these concepts like, you know, grit is one that stuck with me a lot. Positive psychology is one that stuck with me a lot. And those things always always come back. But since that you answered my question, I'm curious to see what do you uh, what do you have for uh, us tonight, Sherry? Well, and I just, let me go back to the internal locus of control really quickly. I mean, I I think another indicator that Napoleon III likely had a sound internal locus of control is just the fact that he continued to try to reimagine his positions and take control of things and change constitutions. I mean, clearly he thought Mm -hmm. that... He could be the provider, sure. um, have the policy, be the influencer to make France go in the direction he or his small close advisors, who I guess just did everything that he wanted, uh, wanted to go. So, sure. you know, that's, yeah. that's it's a good concept to relate to him. Uh, and I think the more examples you have, the, the more you can understand these concepts. So I, I never, I hesitate and I love revisiting these. But now what do you, again, have for us? Because you sound like, it seems like it's going to be a good one. I mean, you've got like that Masters and Johnson's excitement look on your face. Like, uh, no, because, you know, I love it when, I, you know, and I don't, I don't keep notes on this. You, you keep better track than I would ever do. Although I do have a note going on my phone now with our more th- most recent episodes. So I remember sure. what the hell I talked about on the show, but I love it when you'll say something in the podcast that immediately will make a psych connection with me. And then I play a little game with myself when I listen to it to see how many different examples or connections to it I can make within what you talk about the podcast. But for Napoleon Third, it was it was pretty quick. Um, And I don't think that we've talked about uh, the different routes of persuasion on the show. Have we? I don't think so. Nope. Definitely not. I've never heard that phrase before. Routes of persuasion. 
All right. So one of the things that is typically studied in an intro to psych setting that has to do with compliance, reason why somebody would um, say yes to a request that's made of them are studying the different routes of persuasion. And there are two of them. You can have a central route of persuasion where you try to convince somebody to comply by using facts and um, very central, matter of fact, sound pieces of information, or you can try to convince them by using a peripheral route of persuasion, which is appealing to their emotions. And even though these concepts were not named at the time of Napoleon III, because psychology was just founded as a social science in Mm -hmm. 1879, I think he was really good at understanding that, especially the peripheral route of persuasion, um, that one of the ways to win the hearts and minds of people, especially at the beginning when he was, you know, the stray Bonaparte who came back into Mm -hmm. uh, the French picture and won that election by a landslide. He knew what he had to market to all the different factions of the French population in order to become popular. And so some of the things that I just thought were delightful in the podcast, uh, we're learning about the fact that he brought department stores to France, uh, that he is the first person who brought the large shopping experience. And that was certainly not something that was accessible to everybody who lived in France at the time. Uh, But clearly, um, we continue to this day to appeal to people's retail savvy. People love to shop and they love shopping um, at places that cater to their likes and wants. And so I thought that was interesting about him. Uh, The fact that he made transportation more accessible, and I was laughing when you were talking about that because in my first experience in Paris, I had a terrifying experiment at Gare du Nord, which is their um, mm. their large one of their two large train stations, and I did not realize that that was built under his reign. Oh, um, was it? Yeah, it was uh, the Paris Opera, which I think is one of the most beautiful buildings on planet Earth. It really Earth. is. That was built under um, under his um, his presidency or reign. I forget which one. You know, I mean, clearly he was a womanizer, and but you mentioned that he was really attracted to his wife because she was so beautiful. So I think that he is somebody who really appreciated that peripheral route of persuasion very early on with being able to appeal to people's emotions, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a really good example of that. Um, you know, somebody who uses a central route of persuasion would have appealed just very, very basically to people about dollars and cents and policy and things that, you know, are a function of the government. But uh, to be the person who brought all of these different elements to French life, and I don't know what his reach was outside of where he lived in Paris, uh, but I think that's really interesting. And it's a great psych concept. And, you know, I always teach my students, when you go in to buy a car, why do you buy Mm -hmm. the car that you do? And, you know, it's usually because of color or speed or how many cup holders it has. Uh, Very few people go in and it might be a little different now because of how high gas is, but you know, not a lot of people are, are asking specifically about safety features or gas mileage or, um, you know, insurance premiums, um, because we still like that emotional appeal. And so I thought that was kind of a cool part about him. Oh, for sure. Yes. So there are, I, I, I heard two different Roots of persuasion, or are there more than two? There are two. The central route of persuasion, okay. yeah. which uses yeah, I got that one. 
um, you know, facts and just, um, you know, uh, basic functional information to get somebody to comply or to do something. And then there's the peripheral auto persuasion. So anything that's done to appeal to somebody's emotions, uh, which I think Napoleon III must have been very good at, at least at the beginning. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 you know, understand he, he just his writings alone, whether it was while he was in prison at Ham or other parts of his reign, appealing, he was always trying to appeal to the, the Catholics, to the, the liberals, to the nationalists, to the Bonapartists, to the monarchists, to the conservatives, to the workers, to the poor, um, you know, especially in his writing, his rhetoric, his speeches, and even just nationalism abroad, he was such an advocate for. And he just tried to, I think, make himself so appealing that he became unappealing to more people than he meant to, you know, and that's, it's, and, it's and to influential <laughs> people who also had a reach. Um, you know, I did not realize his relationship with Victor Hugo and, you know, I, that's a uh, word read, for it. <laughs> I read a portion of Les Mis in my AP French mm-hmm. class in high school, which was an incredible challenge to get through. That is a behemoth piece of literature. But, you know, I was even thinking that, you know, he even managed to win over Hugo early in on in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until, and it's just like you said, appealed to that emotion until it wasn't appealing anymore. Right. But a lot of yeah. people go through that. I mean, you buy a car, a lot of people get tired of it. Uh, you'll go shopping and, you know, buy shoes and then you realize they're really impractical or they're going to hurt oh. your feet. So, you know, we're, we're all, I think, guilty of that in some respect, but I think he was a good uh, example of that. No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think that was a perfect one. I mean, y- you know, I that's something that I wish I could have spent more time with. I mean, there was a lot of political intrigue that went into his elections and stuff that, was, you know, with the podcast and covering his whole life is uh, almost impossible to do, but still nonetheless interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great social psych concept. And again, um, you know, with social psych, we're looking at how an individual's mental processes and behaviors are, um, you know, affected by other people. And uh, I think it's, it's a good, good example of that historically. And who, who put that forward? Did I miss that? Or did you not say, or is that just um, a general? I, don't, I don't know historically okay. where that came from. I mean, social psychology, when other people's influence on somebody's behavior started being studied was largely a phenomenon of the 1960s uh, through today. It's still a big, big slice of the discipline, but um, it's considered a more modern niche of psychology and um, certainly would have been well outside of his lifetime. But if it was a thing... I think he would have been a good example of that. Oh, he, well, he, I think he is a great example. Yeah. Nobody's popping up as like a, a big name attached to it. Must just yeah, be and I, think, that... I, I think there were some other aspects of just who Napoleon the third was as a person. And I don't know how much you know about this, but some of the research I was doing over the weekend talked about that he apparently had a really good memory and was really good at remembering people's names. And so, oh, you know, know, you think that. about, how good you feel when somebody remembers your name or calls you by name. And I think that was the part of the emotional appeal. He did fun things like he ran contests. And did you mm-hmm. know about his connection with margarine? No. That apparently he <laughs> you, ran some you find like of, a fun fact article on Napoleon III that I just did not I know. I was, just, I was all over the place. I mean, you know, I always start with Wikipedia, but then I keep clicking links. And then I love the bottom part of Wikipedia with all the references. And so I don't know where sure. I read this. But apparently with some response, I think if I remember correctly, to some agriculture crisis, he, because he was actually a buddy of Louis Pasteur's, uh, Louis Pasteur yeah, used to okay. come to his court. Um, but apparently he had some kind of agricultural connection and made it a contest for 
people in that field to invent a butter substitute. And that's how margarine came to be. Oh, my God. If that wasn't an accomplishment, I don't know what is. I mean, I, I am upset that I missed that. But, uh, you yeah. know, I mean, but to be fair, there was a lot yeah, that I, I, I didn't yeah. write down my source, but uh, it's OK. Yeah. It's OK. You, you know, we can find it. I'm sure it's probably maybe it is mentioned in my book. I mean, you know, I, I have to gloss over parts of the book that I'm reading because in all honesty, I read a bunch of different sources. So the book that I go to in sight, I tend to just use as an anchor. So I might have missed the margarine piece. But that's fun. Who knew? Yes. Sherry knew. But hey, we're a team. Oh, no, I you didn't know. I just found out yesterday. I didn't even know the man existed before last week. So Here, Here's the thing with me. The moment I close, when, the moment I press enter on that, that, that last bit of that script and I, after I read through it and then I, um, I uh, go, go through um, – Oh shit! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just have to laugh at something. So you're you just you're chewing ice right now, and I'm just feeling I, like a nick, a nickname emerging. Like a that's like such a Luke thing to do. Wawa ice. I'm telling you, the Wawa ice is fantastic. It's According to podcasts, little- Sherry's dumping ice fantastic. around the. Hey, Wawa wants to sponsor me. Us, oh, I'm there. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm I'm hooked. I mean, the fact that I walk into my two local Wawas <laughs> and I know everybody by name is really sad. But I fully took advantage. <laughs> of the free teacher beverages in the month of August. I felt that it was the only thing I had going for me that month. Hey, the ice is still free. The ice is still free. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. I I love it. Um, Okay. I don't even know what I was going to say now and it doesn't really fucking matter. Is there anything else you wanted to tell about margarine and stuff? I can't remember what else. Oh, oh, the moment I press enter for the last time, I like take a week off. Napoleon mentally. I mean, I'll advertise on social media, but it's like Sherry saying, well, I listened to it and then I did research. I'm like, ain't no fucking way I'm doing more research on Napoleon the third. I gave up about a week and a half ago. I'm already doing research on our next great mind. And I'm like, you know, I have my like routine that I go through to start and I'm, then I'll pick up a book and read it and try and get through it. And now teaching and so it, it, i do my best but anyway is there any other things that you wanted to talk about tonight sherry actually so you know another thing that i kind of glommed on to during the the podcast is um you know you you spoke a lot about uh napoleon the third being very much a, a nationalist and i was mm-hmm. just uh, thinking about um you know thinking about him and queen elizabeth the second and all of these leaders who were truly great lovers of their culture and their people. And it, it, you know, and I think that that was, you know, it's an odd word, but I think that was an endearing part about him, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, to be the relative of somebody who is, I think, when you think of leadership of France, everybody thinks of Napoleon the first, but to be somebody who I think genuinely loved the idea of of the country that he wanted to create or lead or whatever it was, the fact that he was willing to lead their army, which was not going to go anywhere against von Bismarck. And I mean, certainly was a losing proposition. The fact that he was willing to do that. And it just, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that that seemed to be a very nice part of him. And I don't know if I have felt that among other monarchs that we've studied other monarchs. Yeah. for the money or the power or their relationship with the papacy or whatever. But, um, you know, and I think parts of that were part of Napoleon the third story, but, you know, he seemed to be somebody who really was interested in just making France the best place it could be. Sure. And I think, yeah, well-intentioned is the word historians have used, you know, uh, well-meaning is one that I've come across. I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not going to say he didn't have his dark moments, but it's, it's, it's what it is. So, yeah, and I want to do a shout out. I never talk about my college experience because I was a nightmare in college, but 
my very favorite class I took in college was music and nationalism. And it was very much um, tied to wartime activities and how the music used to unite the people was a great source of nationalism. So there was no music mentioned in the podcast, but um, there you know, actually again, was. What, Poor did you mention his, mo- his mother's song, his mother's song that she wrote. That was a, a song that uh, he kind of made this unofficial national anthem. The oh, one about okay. Napoleon I, and Syria. Yeah. Well, it was in the moment in the margins, but, but yeah, you know, what I think? yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Um, I think I was so fixated on, so it was her name. Hortense. I think you pronounced it. Wait, how did you say it? Hortense Beauharnais. Is it Hortense or Hortense? And I and I think that's the reason I must have Hortense? missed it because the more you said her first name, I kept thinking about well, where's the where's the pronunciation accent? Hortense it's, or Hortense? It, there's no there's no accent. Oh, the like where what I I, I, I guess it's well, there Hortense. Has to be an accent. There's two syllables. Well, it's French to the age. Hortense. Well, it's probably it less H sound that I'm saying because. H's are mostly silent in French. It's probably more tense. More tense. Yeah, I think that. Well, anyways, that may have been why I missed it because I was just. (laughs) Yeah, she wrote a in her in her time during Napoleon's reign. She was at Napoleon's stepdaughter. She wrote a a song uh, about his time in Syria, and it became kind of like the unofficial national anthem of Napoleon the Third's France, and he was played as this way as he went to exile. So, any other psychology concepts that you wanted to bring up tonight, Cherry? I got a pretty big one that I don't know if you're aware of, and you have to help me with the whole lineage of it. But did you know that there's a tie to the Bonapartes and Sigmund Freud? I didn't. Oh, yeah. Wait, Princess Bonaparte. Yes. So did we hit all your psych topics for tonight? We did. And I just. And uh, margarine. And. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I loved one of his quotes, march at the head of your century. That's right. Yep, yep, yep. Um, be in the forefront, be on the cutting yep. edge, or you are going to get left behind. And that yes. kind of bleeds right into what we were talking about, Queen Elizabeth II. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she knew that there were certain things that were outside of her comfort level that she had to do. March at the head of your century. It's what everybody should sure. do. Sure, sure, sure. And, you know, from Queens to Princess Bonaparte's uh, listeners, you know, to catch up on what we're saying, just head on over to the DGMH Patreon page and support the show and get access to all sorts of fun bonus content in the process to kind of get filled into what we're saying there. But do you have any final thoughts tonight, Sherry, as we wrap this up? I know, no, you know, it's seems like normally there's something that just oh 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 oh, oh i wanted to say uh, uh you know and margarine would have been a great final thought uh but <laughs> any no, other final thoughts final thought. i think another lesson we can take from napoleon the third is the fact that he remained so mentally busy when he was in prison and i think a lot of us when we have downtime in 2022 get bored don't know what to do with sure. ourselves you know i tell everybody the biggest tragedy i've ever experienced teaching high school was the day the at&t towers went down and faculty and students alike were hysterically panicked for a full day of school because they mm. could not use their phones mm. um here was a man who was a prisoner of war and yet used his time to continue to engage himself mentally and i think that's a sure. good life lesson yeah. for people when you have idle time that doesn't mean that you don't have anything to do and there is a lot of benefit in giving yourself time to simply contemplate reflect and think and so i think that was a great lesson from his him as well i love it that's a fantastic lesson nothing like wrapping up in a lesson so uh as we wrap this up though of course we will be discussing shots in the upcoming weeks actually next week uh because you know i'm going to hold the chaser to the end for a specific reason this month which is rare but i can do what i want as luke once said but then disgruntly, you know, or angrily, uh, you know, criti- or criticize me for, uh, you know, it's my show. I can do whatever the fuck I want. Anyway, so 
I wanted to ask, uh, who do you think would be a fair or good matchup for Napoleon III on our shots? Because we're still deciding in the group. And I mean, I, I think I've come to a conclusion, but I'm very open-minded. Well, I would like to see him go up against a contemporary, you know, to think about the fact that he lived at the same time of Abraham Lincoln, Mm -hmm. Uh, very different people, but I would like to see him go up against somebody who was a ruler during his same time span. Sure. Or shortly thereafter, but rising during his fall, I was thinking I'm leaning. Some of us are leaning towards the teddy bear himself. might be an interesting one. And I think he stands a fair fairer chance than maybe most people, you know, because they know Teddy and they know Lincoln and whether it's either one of those, I think Napoleon still stands a fair shot against either one, you know. Put, put him against more. Charles II, he'll win. <laughs> you wanted a contemporary though. We need a oh, 19th century true. man or woman. So I, I don't have any 19th century. Well, it would be interesting to put him up against, well, maybe not Victoria because I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how much influence nah, she has. You can't, put him up, you can't put him up against well, Queen Victoria. Yeah. No, well, she's not even on the show yet. But Victoria and that wouldn't be a fair. Be. That wouldn't be a fair fight. Yeah. Just like I don't know. I don't know much about her. You can't put up. Oh, come on, Queen Victoria. I just don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't put him up against Catherine the Great either. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I'm just hoping it's not another fucking tie. Uh, so, <laughs> not that I don't love having against, cheese or shepherd. Then forget about the time frame and put him up against Charles Charles II. It won't be a tie. No, I love a good matchup and a fair matchup. And I obviously love losing too. But um, maybe, I don't know. It looks like it's going to be Napoleon III versus one of our American, 19th century Americans. Uh, so we'll see what happens next week on Shots. But... Well, that's it. If you enjoyed this episode of Drinks with Great Minds in History, uh, then I hope you'll consider supporting the show over on the DGMH Patreon page. Link in the show notes. There, listeners can get access to all sorts of great content, including a special moment with Mr. DGMH and an unfolded epic on the Thirty Years' War, all sorts of pregame shenanigans. You can access all sorts of bonus content, uh, last call episodes uh, from your shots and uh, favorite shots and twists of psych. Uh, wow, that's hard to fucking read. I changed it up, but I don't know why I fucking did that. Anyway, from all your favorite shots and twists of psych episodes, of course, then there's other bonus matchups sometimes, new psychology concepts, etc. Uh, and of course, you will get access to our chat segments where Colin chats with me about China and I chat with him about Portugal. And I think that's just about all of it, aside from some random from well, the well content, which includes, you know, what I'm teaching sometimes and Sherry's musings that sometimes she says, I have a few musings on something and then I just... <laughs> I have to cut them over the show and put them on Patreon. And it's always that word. So I call them Sherry. I don't, do you know that I call them Sherry's musings and put them on Patreon? No, I have no idea. We had a great one last time. No, no, no. There was our, our discussion on television. And it was like, we talked about television for like eight minutes. And I can't even remember what we said about television. Oh, it was like talking about television that we like and stuff. And I was like, that's going to go in the Sherry's musings categories. <laughs> anyway, help okay. us out also. People who don't know us, uh, we spend every day together and it's yeah. always talking talking and more talking i don't know well also help us out by leaving the show a great hopefully five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite show uh, and podcast and please be sure to tell your history loving friends about us join us on facebook and uh at the facebook group we have some fun there and follow the show on instagram and twitter at uh dgmh history and i'll be going back next time to our regular read there because that fucking confused the shit out of me sherry you're not doing a shot tonight i assume yes just no, a shot of I, ice, I have, uh, a, ice. I, have a, I have a proper cup of english tea okay to Toast in honor of Queen Elizabeth II. I, I love that. And you've been shooting Wawa ice for the past 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So please edit that out. I didn't realize that was so loud. I no, I think it's hilarious. No, no, no. I'm thinking, uh, share, you know, our all psychology all-star, the woman with uh, Wawa ice cubes. <laughs> 
is going to be nasty. Hey, and you know what? Anybody who's had Wawa or Sonic Ice is going to run to my defense because- I'm going to get some to try it. But I am doing a shot of, uh, oh, I bought the tiny, tiny bottle version of it because I bought another bottle. Uh, but I'm doing a different tequila every episode this month. Uh, and this one's Don Julio Silver. I've had it before. It's a delightful, expensive okay. tequila. Wait, but- before you have that shot, did you, the tequila that you drank on the show, was that- a Kevin Hart tequila? Yeah, that's Kevin Hart's tequila. Oh, yeah. He, he has a sandwich special at Wawa going on right now. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Kevin Hart. Why are you not listening to DJ May? I'm tagging you in all these episodes. Kevin Hart and Napoleon III. Who knew they would bring about so much conversation? Yes, Kevin Hart. We support your Wawa sandwich and your tequila, which is fantastic. But this round is Don Julio. I guess tonight we raise a glass to Napoleon the Third, uh, and all the, the the peripheral persuasion that alcohol can bring along uh, with peripheral, the peripheral, <laughs> peripheral, peripheral. Oh no, alcohol makes persuasion a lot easier. Cheers. <laughs> it's gonna be a tough call on which one of those is better. I don't know. I'm gonna have to have to really try that out. Uh, you mm, don't I have my favorite. My favorite, though, Sousa. is nobody else's favorite. But Souza, Souza. Souza, S-O-U-Z-A. I think Souza, Souza. I don't know. The last, time, my the last time I was at our local Mexican restaurant, I asked for it, and the bartenders looked at me very confused. So certainly not anything that's considered top shelf. But you know what? I'm a Smirnoff vodka drinker, too. So Hey, you know my vodka is dirt cheap. I love a bargain tequila. I love a bargain anything, but this, I, I had to try. I bought it for my birthday for myself because I had a gift. You know, my, my grandma sent me 50 bucks. I was like, okay, I'm going to buy this tequila, you know, uh, offset it a little bit, but Don Julio is still damn good. That's going to be a tough, tough call. So we will see at the end of the month, which one I like better, but all right, Jerry. Well, thanks for coming on and uh, cheers. Cheers.